0: Well, hello, Watermark, and and everyone joining us online. My name is Jermaine Harrison, and I get to serve here on the Shoreline team, uh, where we're committed to helping students in grades 9 through 12 be known and accepted, taught about Jesus, and challenged to grow. And today we are continuing to walk through our summer series we're calling Summer on the Mount, where we are addressing and looking at Jesus' most famous uh, recorded sermon in Matthew's chapters 5 to 7. And specifically today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, where Jesus addresses something that is near to, to all of us, our money and our possessions. And he has something to say uh, to us in that regard. And to set up where we're going, I'd love to share with you a story from my, my college experience that I think is helpful for what we're going to discuss today. So if you don't know me, I grew up in the Caribbean and uh, I went to college in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I went to a college called Blue Water Bible College. Very stereotypical. We're in the Caribbean and of course renaming the college Blue Water Bible College. Um, so here's a, a couple of pictures um, uh, of our campus. There's not that many students. There's about 40 or 50 students uh, uh, across all grades there. And um, here's another picture of what we get to look at every day when we're looking outside of our classroom window and um, uh, learning right and so uh, while while i'm there while i was in college one sunday afternoon um some of most of the the people that stay on campus students and faculty we went off to this this event off campus and because it's on the western coast of the island and there's not that many um, other buildings around we usually leave the doors unlocked everything's fine no one's gonna rob us or so we think And so we're away for several hours at this event, and we come back on campus, and we notice several uh, police cars on campus and many police officers. And so we're we're obviously concerned, and we're wondering what's going on, so we begin to ask questions and, and come to find out our campus had been robbed. Some burglars had been waiting for us to all leave campus, to get on campus and, and have a field day. And to my great shame, my first thought wasn't, I hope they didn't get my Bible or I hope everyone's okay or I hope I still have all my textbooks or my Greek lexicon. No, my first thought, my first question was, where are my Air Force Ones? Genuinely, that's exactly what I thought to my great shame, Um, and I remember running up to uh, to our dorm and running into my room and looking under my bed to make sure that my Air Force Ones were still there because everyone's favorite rapper Nelly told you that you should have two pairs. I need two pairs so I can get to stomping in my Air Force Ones, so of course I had them, and I wanted to make sure that this treasured possession was still in my possession, and they were, and everything was all good right? Those silly white shoes had a grip on my heart. And as I've reflected on that story in the years since, um, I'd love to to stand here and say that, that possessions still don't sometimes have a grip on my heart. That sometimes I'm not still just as tempted to allow my money or my possessions to be the driving force in my life. And Jesus knew that that would be the case for me and for all of us. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, he addresses the issue of money and possessions. In fact, 15% of what Jesus, uh, what is recorded of Jesus' words in scripture, have to do with money and possessions. A large portion of the parables that he taught have to do with money and possessions because he knew, he knows that the, the allure of money and possessions in our lives would be strong. I know some of you maybe are already rolling your eyes. You're like, oh, are you kidding me? Another message about money. I've just started coming back to church maybe and, they, and they're giving a, a message on money and they got the youth guy to do it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I just want you to know that the, the, the point I want you to walk out of this room with this, this today um, is this, that Jesus isn't out to get your money. Jesus isn't out to get your money and possessions. He doesn't want your money and possessions to get you. Jesus isn't out to get your money and we're not going to pass a plate or we're not going to show you our new uh, building campaign. Jesus wants all of us to see and understand that he doesn't want our money and possessions to get us. And so in Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 24, Jesus is gonna introduce to us three truths about money and possessions. And as a reminder, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where Jesus has been sharing with his disciples then and his disciples today a kingdom ethic for a kingdom people. That is a way of life that should mark followers of Jesus who have surrendered their lives to him and want their lives to, to, to model the, the way of Christ. And so Jesus isn't given a rule book of things to check off to be a good Christian. He is informing us. He is reteaching us. He is making sure we understand clearly what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so in Matthew 6, he's going to give us three truths about money and possessions that I think will be helpful for every one of us today. So the first uh, truth that Jesus gives about money and possessions is this, money and possessions compete for your heart. Money and possessions compete for our hearts. Now we get that from Matthew 6 verses 19 through 21. Let me read those verses for us. It says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin or corrosion, rats, all of those things destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And so Jesus introduces these two concepts, one of storing up treasures in heaven and one of storing up treasures on earth. And he says that one is free from uh, decay and potential loss and the other is, is vulnerable to decay and loss. When we store up treasures on earth, Jesus is saying it is a fleeting and empty pursuit. So what does it mean? to store up treasures on earth. If Jesus is saying this is not a good idea, we need to know what he means. So here's what it means to store up treasures on earth. It is the self-centered use of material resources to meet our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. To store up treasures on earth is the self-centered use of material resources to meet our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. In other words, it is to, to, to view our money and view our, our possessions as a thing that brings us security, as a thing that gives us identity, as a thing that gives us meaning and purpose. And Jesus wants all of us to realize that this is an empty and fleeting pursuit that is open to decay and to loss, right? In our culture, one of the the, um, most um, sought after ideals is to be financially independent, right? And when someone is financially independent, it means that they've worked so hard for so long uh, and accumulated enough money and possessions that they no longer have to work another day in their life. And that seems to be a goal that is that we believe or is put on us in our culture, and, and, and that idea is found nowhere in Scripture. Instead, what we find in, in Scripture is this call to be faithful stewards of the resources that God has given to us, the money and the possessions that, that, that God has blessed us with. God wants us to be faithful stewards of it. I'm gonna explain a little bit more about what it means to be a faithful steward of the money and resources God has given to us. Um, But to make sure we're all on the same page, I wanna ask you to consider a question. Do you know that God owns all of your money and possessions? Do you know that God owns every penny in your bank account and everything that you own? Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, which includes all of our money and all of our possessions, it all belongs to the God of the universe. And if you believe that there is a God who exists uh, as I do, you understand that he is the creator and sustainer of this world and that everything we own belongs to him. And so technically, we don't have any money and possessions. It all belongs to God. And he wants you and I to be faithful stewards of the resources that he has blessed us with. So what does it mean to be a faithful steward? Um, Stewardship can be defined as this. Stewardship is managing another's property according to the owner's vision and values. Stewardship is managing another's property according to the owner's vision and values. And so if God is the owner of all of your money and possessions, a faithful steward will ask the question, what does God want me to do with my money and possessions? Someone who thinks that they are the owner of their money and possessions always asks, what do I want to do? But a faithful steward understands that their money and possessions do, do not belong to us, that it belongs to God. Being a faithful steward is inclusive of generosity, but it is so much more. A faithful steward asks, uh, how much should I give? And why am I giving it? A faithful steward asks, how much should I save? Uh, and why am I saving it? A faithful steward asks, uh, uh, how much should I spend? What should I spend it on? And why am I spending it? Right? A faithful steward realizes that God has blessed them with money and, res- and possessions as a gift to be enjoyed, a tool to be used uh, to, to bless themselves and to bless others. But faithful stewards ask the question, how can I honor the owner with the resources that he has given me? You see, just because you give a certain percentage to the church or give to a charity doesn't mean that you have free reign with the rest of your money, right? It's a, it's a way of thinking that is very flawed that, oh, if I just give the right amount, oh, then I can do what I want with the rest. And God says that it all belongs to me and that you're a faithful or you should be a faithful steward of the gifts that I've given to you. That flawed way of thinking is what leads to um, Dave uh, Ramsey's quote where he says, some of us buy things we don't need um, with money we don't have to impress people we don't like because we want to experience uh, some sort of blessing and satisfaction that money and possessions was never meant to offer to us. And Jesus has a better way. Jesus says, instead of storing up your treasures here on earth where they're open to decay and open to loss, instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break through and steal. So what does that mean to store up treasures in heaven? What does it mean? It is the compassionate use of your material resources to meet the physical and spiritual needs of others. To store up treasure in heaven is the compassionate use of your material resources to meet the physical and spiritual needs of others. And that makes sense, right? But even some of us may have the question, I get that, I understand what you mean by storing up treasures in heaven, but what exactly is a treasure in heaven? Um, and the Bible isn't super clear on this. It remains a mystery in many ways. But what we do know for sure from what Jesus is saying here and in other passages of scripture is this, that your financial transactions here on earth have eternal implications. And how you steward your money and possessions that the Lord has blessed you with here on this earth has implications in the life to come. And Jesus is saying, trust me, it is a better deal to store up treasures in heaven than to store them up here on earth. And then he goes straight to the point and says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does he mean? Your heart there represents your mind and your emotions and your will. And he's saying, if you are fully devoted to uh, storing up treasures in heaven, that will gain the attention of your life. But if you're fully devoted to storing up treasures here on this earth, that will gain the attention of your life. And one treasure leads to eternal joy and peace, and blessing, while the other is temporary, fleeting, and empty. The Apostle Paul agrees with Jesus and restates this point um, that he just made, that money competes for our hearts in 1st Timothy chapter six, verses nine and 10. He says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root, so not money. Money is a tool. Money is a gift. Money is a resource from God. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Ecclesiastes 5.10 also supports this idea, and it says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Money and possessions compete for our heart. Um, If you don't know this, I got married about seven months ago to my wonderful wife, Hannah, uh, which is really fun. Thank you. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that uh, has affected me as I've thought about making sure I'm taking care of my wife and, and potential future family is this thing in adulthood called an emergency fund, right? Where you, get, you, you save three to six months of salary in case of any emergency and and guys, over the, the, the last season I've I've found it so easy to begin to trust in an emergency fund. Oh, if the car breaks down, or if this happens, if there's any sort of emergency, I have this this money that's set aside for that purpose. And it's easy to trust that and not trust that there's a good father who loves me and sees me and knows my situation and is there for me it's so easy for my heart to run toward trusting in resources versus trusting in God and Jesus knows that and he doesn't want money and possessions to get me and he doesn't want it to get you either And so he continues on by giving the second uh, truth about money and possessions to continue to illustrate his point. And the second truth that Jesus gives to his disciples then and now is this. What you see drives what you want. What you see drives what you want. Notice with me in Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. Jesus says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, in other words, if you view your money and possessions correctly from the perspective of God, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus understood something that is true about every single one of us. There's a direct link between our eyes and our hearts. Our eyes drive our desires. What we see and how we see our money and our, our, our possessions drives the way we live, drives the way we, 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 we choose to steward the those resources. We live in a consumer culture. and We really can't help it. And advertisers have capitalized on the fact that our eyes drive our desires. What we see drives what we want, right? Um, New York is known for the fashion industry. Boston, maybe for intellect. Um, uh, Florida for Walt Disney World. And you know what Dallas is known for? North Park Mall. Like no one's coming here to see the scenes. They're coming here to to get some incredible shopping, right? And we are are bombarded with advertisements all the time. Some business journals estimate that the average American is exposed to 4,000 advertisements per day. 4,000. Right During the Super Bowl, uh, companies pay about $5 million for their 32nd commercial spot. Why? Because they know that people that don't even care about football are watching it, and they're not even watching the game, but when the commercials come on, they're telling their friends to be quiet because they wanna watch this uh, commercial. The advertisers know that your eyes drive your heart, and if they get control of your heart, then they get you, right? And I I experienced that in my own life during the March Madness NCAA tournament uh, this past March. As I'm watching all of the games, It felt like at every commercial break, this particular commercial uh, came on, and you know it, you've probably seen it. It's the one where there's an ice cream truck racing down one uh, street, and down another street there's a Coca-Cola truck racing down, and then there's also this truck with oranges on it, and they all collide or whatever, and what comes out of it is an orange vanilla Coke. Here's a picture of it up on screen. And, and when, I, when I saw that commercial, I was like, that sounds disgusting. Coke plus orange flavor plus vanilla. I'm out. I'm not interested. However, I kept seeing the commercial. At every commercial break, they kept appealing to my eyes to the point that after I'd seen it so many times, I looked over at my wife and I was like, we've got to go to Target. We've got to get ourselves an orange vanilla Coke right? So much so that I got one with me on stage here just to drink it, just so you guys can understand the appeal and that your eyes drive your desires. I'm drinking something I don't even know if I like. Because I saw it over and over again and my eyes drove my desires. Maybe you're in the room and you're like, no, those commercials on TV, they don't get me. And for those people that are thinking that right now, how about this? You're on a simple mission to Costco. You're going to go get some eggs. It's just a normal day like any other day. And you walk in and you see the three pound bag of beef jerky and you're like, I need that. And then you walk a little further and you see the sparkling water section. You're like, I need Waterloo, I need Kirkland brand, I need LaCroix, because they all taste different anyways, so I'll get all three of them. I also need this Kirkland fleece because it looks and feels amazing. I also need detergent to last me the rest of 2019, and maybe I also need an eye exam. And so you do all these things (laughs) in your trip where you're just going to get some eggs, Like literally this happened yesterday. My wife was, she went to, she was like, hey, I'm going to Trader Joe's to grab some bananas to make a smoothie. And she came back with these decorative plants. And I was like, what's with these plants? And she was like, it was a good deal. And I was like, exactly, they got you. Your eyes drive your desires. This is true. And Jesus knows that it's true in a more significant way. That as we see our money and possessions, it drives the way we live our lives. And so if Jesus hadn't been in our face enough, when he said, hey, money and possessions compete for our hearts. And that our, our, our eyes drive what we desire, like we, what we see drives what we want. He makes this final truth about money and possessions that is very helpful for us. And it's this. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. There is no loophole. There is no loophole. And we see this, uh, in Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus says this. No one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is driving home the point that serving God with everything that you are, with full devotion, and serving Serving uh, serving money with full devotion and everything that you are are mutually exclusive. They cannot happen at the same time. You can't be committed to stockpiling treasures uh, in heaven and at the same time be fully committed to stockpiling treasures here on earth. They both take a full-hearted devotion. It's like if there's some people in the room um, that went to a fine college south of here uh, called Texas A&M University... And there we go. And then, <laughs> and then there are also some people in the room that went to another fine university south of here, um, the University of Texas at Austin. There you go. Longhorns, the hiss, whatever you do. Um, if, you go to, if you went to either of those uh, fine universities, it is highly likely that you do not love the other university with the same love and affection that you do the one you went to. There's no Aggie that's like, you know what I really love? Uh, the University of Texas at Austin. What a great school. There's no Aggie that's saying that. And at the same time, there's no Longhorn that's saying, if I had to do it all over again, I'd go to Texas A&M. No way. You You can't love both of them with full devotion. And in the same way, Jesus is pointing out to us that you can't serve both God and your money and possessions with wholehearted devotion at the same time. It is impossible. But if you're like me, you've probably had this thought at one point or another. Wouldn't it be awesome to both be incredibly rich and incredibly godly all at the same time? And to be sure, there are people who are incredibly rich and incredibly godly. This is possible. But what Jesus is saying is that if your outlook from the beginning is that I want to have all the money and possessions that I can possibly have in this life, and I also want to pursue God with everything that I have and everything that I am, he's saying that it is impossible. You cannot serve both God and money with wholehearted devotion. And then he, he makes another point at the end of that verse um, as he talks about this idea that money and God are both potential masters for every single one of us. Every one of us serves one of these two masters. You're either a servant of God or you're a servant of your money and possessions. And money is a great servant, but a terrible master. Money is a great servant but it's a terrible master. You see, money in your life can play the role of a tool, test, and testimony. That is, money can be a tool that you use to pay for things and to uh, live your life, or it can be a a test of where your allegiance lies if you're trusting in your money or trusting and and having your allegiance in God, or it can be a testimony of God's kindness in your life as you seek to be a blessing uh, um, to those around you, or... Or money can be your heart's greatest treasure. The thing that you seek after, the thing that, you, that keeps you up at night, the allure that pulls your heart's affections. And if money is your heart's greatest treasure, then it becomes a trap. So it can be a tool, a test, and a testimony, or it can be your heart's greatest treasure and thereby become a trap in your life. And so as I reflected on this concept, this idea for myself, and how I can uh, allow money to have its proper place, tool, test, testimony, and not be the greatest treasure, uh, I came across this quote that I think is really helpful for, for us as we consider this idea. It comes from the Puritan tradition, and here's the quote. It's this, how do you dislodge an affection from the heart? How do you make sure that money and possessions don't win the day in your heart, in your mind, and in your emotions and will? You replace it with a more beautiful thing. How do you dislodge an affection from the heart? You replace it with a more beautiful thing. And I wanna submit to you that the more beautiful thing is a relationship with the God of the universe who loves you so much that he demonstrated that love for you in that while you were still a sinner, he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die and to raise again from the dead, to offer us a reconciled relationship with God. And one of the best benefits, and blessings of that relationship with God is that you and I get to view money and possessions through the spirit and perspective of God. And so Jesus wants to dislodge this affection from your heart, um, money and possessions. And he is the more beautiful thing. Experience an example of this um, this last week. This last week, we took uh, 270 high school students to Camp Barnabas. Camp Barnabas is a camp for individuals with special needs in southwest Missouri. And so campers come from all over the country to spend a week uh, at camp where they are taken care of um, and blessed and encouraged um, by high school students. And here's a picture uh, of my guy, Lanny, being welcomed onto camp on the first day at Camp Barnabas. And it's such an incredible experience. You would be so blessed to know that the high school students that were on mission at Camp Barnabas served tirelessly and served selflessly all week. And one of those students that were on this trip, uh, she's 18 years old now. And since she was 13, she had been saving up for a car. She'd been, uh, you know, nannying and doing other odd jobs to save up for a car. And when this opportunity came to to go to Camp Barnabas, she really wanted to to go. And her parents said, hey, we'll pay half and, and, and you will have to come up with the other half. And so she decided to take money from her savings for, for her car and put it towards this experience because she understood that serving others is a more beautiful thing than, than, than owning a car. And who doesn't want to own a car? What 18-year-old doesn't want to own a car? But she understood that loving others, serving others out of the overflow of a relationship with God is a more beautiful thing Um, than the resources that we can have on this earth. And so much so that she's going back again and paying for it again uh, later on this summer because she realized that it's so easy for money and possessions to take control in our hearts but that Jesus doesn't want money and possessions to get us. Jesus does not want money and possessions to get you. So one final story and then we'll be out of here. Uh, When I was in in seminary, um, one of my friends was getting married, and his wedding was going to be in Montgomery, Alabama, and so some friends of mine, uh, we all planned that we were going to rent a car and then road trip up to Alabama from Dallas. And uh, we, had a, we had a classmate, a uh, middle-aged man named Jack. I don't remember his last name, but I knew he was a, a, an airline pilot. And so we called him Captain Jack. See what we did there. Um, and so Captain Jack hears us uh, talking about this trip that we're trying to take and that we're gonna rent a car. And he says, hey, I'm taking a flight. I'm flying all the way over to China over the next couple of weeks. You guys uh, can use my car to go on this road trip and this wasn't any kind of car this was a porsche panamera so let's throw a picture of it up on the screen Um, there's a car on the left and he was offering it to the guys on the right (laughs) <laughs> and the reason you're laughing is because if you owned that car, you wouldn't give it to the guys on the ride, and you probably shouldn't. Um, but he did anyways. And so we're taking this Porsche Panamera on this journey to, uh, to, to Montgomery, Alabama, and we're driving along, road trip, listening to music, talking, everything else. And we're approaching this overpass on the highway, and it looks like there's some road construction happening, resurfacing of asphalt or whatever it might be, and You know, a small chunk of asphalt got projectiled from this overpass right at the moment our car, the Porsche Panamera, was driving under it and it hit the windshield. And we're like, it doesn't look like anything happened. And then the crack begins to develop. And we're like, oh no, Captain Jack is gonna kill us. He gave us his Porsche Panamera for this trip and not even a few hours into uh, stewarding his vehicle, we've already cracked the windshield. He's gonna be so mad at us. What are we gonna do? We're gonna have to pay for this. And so we pull over and we take a picture of the windshield and send an email over to Captain Jack and we're like, we're so sorry. We've already destroyed your car. And, <laughs> and he... Just, a few minutes later, sends back an email where he says, it's all good. It's just a car. And the reason I tell you that story isn't because necessarily of uh, of Captain Jack's response, but because of my response. Because I had a personal relationship with the owner of this car, I was careful. I wanted to be a faithful steward of this vehicle that he had allowed me to have, allowed me to enjoy, allowed me to use, and to be a blessing in our lives. He gave it to me, and because of my personal relationship, I wanted to steward it well. It would have been different if I had a rental car, maybe, because I don't have a personal relationship with Mr. Hurts or Mr. Enterprise, but I do have one with Captain Jack. And because of a personal relationship, it impacted the way I viewed the resource that he had given me. And the same is true for every one of us. If you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe and if you uh, build into that relationship every single day through daily dependence on him, through time in his word, through time with his people, through surrender to his leadership and lordship in your life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to view the money and possessions that he has given you as a tool to enjoy and as a resource and a blessing through a different lens and God wants you to see your money and see your possessions through his perspective. Jesus does not want your money and possessions to get you. And the way you experience that reality is by surrendering to him, by seeking the father seeking to build into a relationship with him. If you've never had a relationship with God, I pray that today is the day that you place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that one of the benefits of it is that you see money and possessions rightly. In response to Jesus's truths about money and possessions, I'm gonna invite you guys to, to, to sing this song together. It's called, My Worth Is Not In What I Own. And I pray that it's not just so, uh, uh, words that you sing in this room and forget as soon as you walk away, but that this becomes uh, the, the, the anthem of your life when you view your money and possessions, that they don't belong to me that they belong to the God of the universe who saw it in his kindness and goodness enough to give me these resources. And he calls me to be a faithful steward of the blessings in my life. He calls me to view money and possessions in the right way and calls me to serve him with wholehearted devotion. Let me pray that every one of us would be committed to storing up our treasures in heaven. God, we thank you so much for this reminder from your word, that money and possessions compete for our heart's affections. And that it's so easy to allow allow ourselves to trust in uh, what we own or what we possess, the money that we have. Help us instead to dislodge that affection from our hearts by the power of your spirit and replace it with a more beautiful thing, a relationship with you. Thank you that you made that possible through your son Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. God, help us to realize in increasing measure that we can't serve both you and our money and possessions with wholehearted devotion. Help us to choose and help us to choose wisely by the power of your spirit.